I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. We are all entitled to sexual health, just as much as physical and mental health. We want to make it easier for folks to find resources. However they engage with us, there's no wrong door. So it's important that people are able to get access to care that is affirming. Talking about what their sex life is, about their concerns, and to make sure they're healthy. Do it for them. Do it for you, Montgomery County. Your sexual health matters. Visit doitforyoumc.org. Hey everyone, Scott Hansen here from NFL Red Zone. I hope you're checking out one hour of Five Yard Rush, one of the best podcasts on NFL football in the UK. Hey, what's going on, Rush Nation? It is time for another special guest episode. And just so I'm not left on my own, uh, I brought a very special guest with me. Now, uh, the man who I'm about to introduce is a fantasy football writer for Fantasy Chance, uh, FightingChanceFantasy.com. But more importantly, he's the winner of the Scott Fish Bowl 9. It's Gary Haddow. How are you doing, Gary? Welcome to Five Hour Rush. I'm doing, doing great. I'm uh, sitting in a hotel room uh, on, on location for, for work right now. And so this is kind of the perfect thing to be doing. Uh, crush some time and talk some, talk some shop with you across the pond. Amazing. Well, uh, whereabouts are you in the, in the U.S. right now? I'm in the fabulous tropical location of Lubbock, Texas, which is in the panhandle, kind of if you've ever seen Friday Night Lights. Yeah, I'm yeah. about uh, an hour and a half north of Midland, Odessa, where Friday Night Lights is set. That's so cool. That's amazing. I, uh, I've never been, I've been to Texas, but I've never been quite there. So that's uh, fascinating. And uh, yeah, I mean, so is that where you normally reside? Are you normally based Texas way or are you just there just purely for work? Uh, so I'm normally in Austin, Texas, which is further south. Um, I'm up here just doing some work stuff, training, training a new employee. Um, I will say the one 
thing about Lubbock is Texas Tech is here, and Texas Tech was home to the now infamous Patrick Mahomes, who should hopefully lose the Super Bowl in two weeks. <laughs> is that because you are a 49ers fan, I take it? It may or may not be, yeah. <laughs> Man, you're having all kinds of a, a year, aren't you? So first of all, you win the Scott Fishbowl 9, which we'll get to um, shortly, but then now your team makes the Super Bowl. I think you should uh, go out there, buy a lottery ticket, and uh, hit the jackpot, no doubt, or play some casino games. <laughs> yes, definitely. <laughs> So, so Gary, what, um, what I always like to ask people when they come on is sort of how they got into football itself and then talking about fantasy football and writing about it for, for, for a hobby and, or living on, and what you do. So how, how did you get into it? So I've been doing fantasy uh, for pretty much 10 years, uh, 10 plus years, and, you know, playing in all sorts of leagues, mostly redrafting keeper, uh, not really any dynasty until this year. And then randomly last year, I started talking to Ryan Hallam at Fighting Chance and well, his handle is at Fighting Chance. And obviously he is the brains behind Fighting Chance Fantasy and we became, you know, online friends and whatnot and actually became pretty pretty good friends. And then randomly asked Sam about writing for him and from there as I kind of started writing a little bit for Fighting Chance, fortuitously, Scott asked Ryan if everybody at Fighting Chance, there's six of us, if they wanted to be in Scott Fish. And so this is my first year doing that first year writing for Twitter first year really being on Twitter other than just kind of lurking. Yeah, it's all worked out pretty darn well. <laughs> Might be the best first year for anybody in the history of uh, entering uh, the space. So yeah, I guess it's only downhill from here. I'm sorry to tell you. <laughs> Well, not unless you win the FFCC, and that's different. I have told so many people, if I played in the Scott Fish tournament a hundred more times, I don't even know if I would ever make the finals. Like, maybe once make the finals. It's a 1,200-person thing. And we'll get into the specifics, but when you're going against 1,200 people, the likelihood of advancing to the final 20 is... I don't know, one percent or whatever it is, two percent. So yeah, it is. It's, it's like one and a half percent. So we were actually against one of your fighting chance uh, colleagues in Dwayne McFarlane. He was in our in our group or uh, in our division. We uh, we knocked him out. <laughs> he actually beat us he in the head to head. Yeah, uh, he's uh, he's no longer a, an, an unknown writer. He's now someone who is uh, very well known writing for just about everyone these days. But yeah, he was in our. Uh, he was in our division. Uh, we actually finished our division uh, six and six, but we uh, top scored in our division by like a hundred points. So we ended up getting the bye <laughs> despite having a six and six record. That's same thing with me. I ended up going seven and four, which my roster will explain that later. But went seven and four, but had high points by quite a quite a large margin. I believe uh, definitely helped that I had a four hundred point week. Uh, that made probably the entire difference. And it, it was crazy. Like, even the final week, there were, like, three teams vying. I think the way that it played out in week whatever, 12, there was one team, actually, that I think may have gotten close to my points, if I remember correctly. So I wasn't even certain that I was going to advance. So I kind of got pretty confused on that. Luckily, I did. And obviously, here we are. So skin on my teeth, just making it all happen. It's amazing. What what a draw. So, yeah, we'll get into it. We'll get into Scott Fishbowl in, in a bit and into the specifics about who you drafted and everything. But um, since, I mean, you've been doing this for a year, I guess you're one of the better placed people to ask this, this next question, which is um, what advice would you give to people who want to talk about their passion, whether that's fantasy football, soccer, 
model train set skiing whatever for, for a living because again you've only been doing this for the last sort of 12 15 months or so honestly the biggest advice is if you're interested in writing you're interested in talking whatever it is you just need to start doing it um even after ryan had said yeah like why don't, why don't you join fighting chance it took me uh, i think six months that was around the super bowl when i asked and i put out my first article in may it's not as if these articles have to be deep dives that have, you've spent six months researching. It literally was just me pushing it off and pushing it off because I was just nervous that I was going to fall flat on my face, which to be honest, maybe I did, maybe I didn't, who knows. Um, ultimately, you just got to do it. And the more you write, the more you want to do research to write because as you're writing, you realize you need to go and look at, you know, pro football reference to what I use a lot just for basic stats and stuff, or then you want to get into more stat analytics to be able to back up the arguments that you're trying to make. And as you do that, just your entire perception of the game, I think actually gets a little bit enhanced because you're trying to elevate the way that you're looking at players so you can talk about the players so you can sound smart and have people listen or read. And same thing, I mean, if you're doing a podcast, uh, just these guys the other week, uh, they, they were fantasy in session. I was on their pod and they were like, well, we do this pod, but we really want to start writing. And I was like, you guys are writing. You just need to transcribe your pod and then tweak that into, you know, what you is sussing out your, your arguments and whatnot and your, your examples. I think the more you do it, the more easy it, it will become. And you'll just kind of take off. I, the only difficulty is that we just live in this era of it's just such an, a saturated space. Um, Dwayne, you referenced Dwayne McFarland, is one of the few people that I've seen that's really kind of elevated and started to get to a point where he is, you know, making a tiny bit of money from it, I believe, jumping from a couple different places. And I know he writes for football guys. Everybody else is just kind of doing their thing. And it's more about the passion and the hobby and trying to just, you know, make yourself better at what we love to do since, you know, we're all kind of for lack of a better term, addicted to this thing that is fantasy football. Yeah, absolutely. And I think um I think that's a really key point is that, you know, we, we got into this stock tonight a couple of years ago and, you know, we, we knew we weren't going to make <clears throat> serious money out of it. We still don't, we still don't make, you know, we get a couple of bucks here and there, but nothing, nothing substantial. And it all goes back into the pod anyway. So it's not like we mm-hmm. can take anything home, but ultimately we know that what with what we're doing is we're just building a community. And for us, it's about getting to know, people who have similar interests as us and getting to speak to interesting people and learn and develop and I, we could be doing this 20 years from now and I probably still might not make a dime and I'm okay with that because my day job pays pretty well and I can live I mean it'd be nice don't get me wrong but if if it doesn't happen I'm not totally bummed out because the people you get to meet on fantasy twitter and, and talk to on podcasts and you know uh, I think it's it's more than enough payment for passion. And I think if you if you want to do this for a living, then you got to be prepared to go out with that sort of mindset that you're doing it for love first uh, and not money. Otherwise, you're just set to set to fail. Unless you've got a revolutionary idea of doing things different to everybody else. Exactly, completely agree. And it's very difficult to come up with those revolutionary ideas. But if you have one, then start sussing it out. Start getting the data to back it up. Start getting the words to get it out there. I think the easiest thing to do is once you have articles posted somewhere you post them to twitter or if it's about a player it's about a topic join into twitter threads about player discussions and then when you're dropping kind of your knowledge you can be like oh yeah i i just wrote about this 
put it in there and hopefully, you know, just snowball. You get a couple people looking, a couple more people, a couple hundred people, and all of a sudden you're kind of off to the races and see where it goes. Yeah, absolutely. And you're going to have peaks and troughs and you, you'll have a day or one article or one podcast you do that will get a massive spike and then the next one or one down the line won't get as much traffic and you have to realize mm-hmm. what was good and what wasn't. What did people like? What didn't they like? What was the difference? Um, and learn from that. And it's always peaks and troughs. It's not always uh, it's not always rising out ar- rising up arrows. But uh, that's why we do it. Love the grind. So let's talk a little bit about your fantasy season. We're going to take the SFP nine out of it again for a moment because we know how great that was. You mentioned it's your first year doing dynasty. So how did your season go? How many sort of leagues did you play in? And uh, and did you get any titles? Yeah. So in total. Uh, just for Dynasty, I have three kind of online Twitter leagues. I did absolutely garbage in them. Uh, one of them I kind of punted. I have like nine picks in the first two rounds, so that's exciting for next year. One of them, I just just had a, I don't know, mediocre team, had some injuries. And then the other one, the Dynasty startup, it's a super flex, and I managed to take Baker in the second round and O.J. Howard in the fourth round. That was kind of the third dynasty I did, so I wanted to do some variation and just see how it went. So that was great because that sucked. I mean, Baker should be good moving forward, but O.J. Howard, who the heck knows? So that team was just terrible. So I think I got a few first overall picks there. Um, I took over an orphan league, which I'm very excited about. Uh, I have the first overall picks. Obviously, orphan teams tend to not be that great. And it's actually my best friend's league. He's been playing in it for 10 years, and they've never actually had someone join. So I was excited. Kind of got to take that over almost like in the second or third week of the season and start making moves right away. So that one should be pretty fun. Uh, but like I said, so Dynasty isn't my main thing. Um, it's definitely more redraft if it, and actually more so keeper. Um, I'm in two big money keeper leagues, um, two keepers and five keepers, respectively. And then... I also, this year, finally started doing some redraft leagues, and I actually did well, really well in redraft this year. Uh, In my keeper, one of my keeper leagues, I set a record for most wins, so that was awesome. And in my other one, I literally missed playoffs because of, like, there was a four-way tie for sixth place, and I missed playoffs by, I think, 100 points, but had I made playoffs, I was the high scorer for all the playoff weeks. So that that's demolishing because that's definitely my main league. It's my college league that's been going on. It's a, an 11 year kind of mini dynasty, five keep, five keepers. So that one kind of got a little gutted from that, but moving on, moving up type thing. So we'll see what happens next year. Wow, I, that leads stinks. I had a league like that where uh, similar thing. I I lost out on the head to head tiebreaker, and then. Uh, yeah, would have won the would have won the playoffs. Uh, instead, won the consolation bracket, which is not winning. <laughs> it's yeah, just, definitely it, not. It's just it's just working out my average of it just boosted my average up. And I I tried to avoid, so I played in forty leagues this year across dynasty wow. and, and redraft, and I only made the toilet bowl in one, um, and that was uh, a dynasty startup similar to you tanked offloaded everything picked up five first round draft picks this year um mm-hmm. so i've got almost half the first round so feeling pretty good coming into it uh for this season but yeah similar thing to you oj howard um to Jameis, but it's a super flex and uh we had cam and cam went down and then uh we had big ben was our third option he went down so we had to play the rest of the year with like 
with Carl Allen for a bit. <laughs> and then we had uh, just basically whatever QB was going to start that week. I mean, not luckily, but there was an injury most weeks. So you could pick up a Jeff Driscoll for a week or you could pick up. And that's, yeah. that's what we resort to, to doing, which was frustrating, but <laughs> it was exciting. But um, what were your big insights for uh, the, the teams that one did well and then the ones that, that didn't, that you could take away and, and, and sort of process learn for, for 2020? Yeah. Um, so it, it, Aaron Jones was kind of my guy going into the season. I've been beating his drum since early in the off season. Um, and luckily that kind of panned out. Uh, funnily enough, almost any league that I had Aaron Jones, I made playoffs or won with the exception of that one, you know, mini dynasty league. Um, that so just in terms of a player that was that was awesome so I'm a very heavy running back drafter I tend to go running back running back running back to open up any draft regardless of scoring this season obviously that worked out a little bit better just given that wide receivers had such a huge dip in the 2019 season compared to other years so that worked out Um, also I will pretty much always wait on quarterback and wait on tight end. And I was lucky enough to get Mark Andrews or Darren Waller in almost any league that uh, I waited and then was able to get Lamar super late or, uh, you know, Jameis, like you said, and even I have a, a couple really deep super flex leagues, one of them being Scott fish, which we'll talk about later. Uh, but I have another one kind of similar in structure and I was able to get Ryan Tannehill like almost at the very end of my draft, just thinking that Mariota probably wouldn't hold up. And, you know, Tannehill, while I didn't expect him to do what he did, he at least seemed like he still had something. You know, he did okay. And as we've all seen, Adam Gase is a dumpster fire. So maybe there was, there was room to grow for that. And so kind of just lucked out there. And lastly, I've been beating the drum for Ryan Fitzpatrick since like week uh, seven. I think I was when I first wrote an article being like, I'm in love with Ryan Patrick and here, Ryan Fitzpatrick. Here's why, even if you're going to laugh at me and dude, I mean, he, he crushed it. So I had him almost everywhere. I even made a trade to make it look like I was trading for Tyreek Hill, but I threw in why I got Ryan Fitzpatrick attached to Tyreek Hill in one league. And sure enough, like the guy didn't even have any idea that that's what I was doing. And I traded like Philip Rivers, Tevin Coleman after his four touchdown game and Mark Andrews to a team that just needed something. And I got Fitzpatrick and Tyree kill from him. And it was like, this is awesome. It totally just worked out in my favor. So it, you, you and I sound incredibly similar because uh, you know, my strategies are very similar. Uh, I don't believe in drafting tight end or for do pick one up ninth round or later. So I got Austin Hooper, uh, Darren Waller or, uh, Mark Andrews, like you said, um, I've always been a big Fitz guy. So um, I so I decided this year to do a stream of each position and just do it a week-to-week basis and see where I could end up. And I ended up with the QB2 overall behind Lamar just by streaming. And wow. the rules were the QB had to be under... 30% owed each week. And, wow. And it was, that, was, that was my rule. So I started off kind of hit and miss. And then roundabout when Tannehill came in, the last like seven weeks, I think six of those weeks was either Ryan Tannehill or Ryan Fitzpatrick um, until Ryan Tannehill's ownership went up. And Fitzpatrick's ownership was still at the end of the season under 30% on ESPN. Um, so I played him week 17, for example, against the Patriots. <laughs> and then it boosted me for Damn. Like, uh, QB3 to QB2 and, and if you look at the names of 
of what I streamed. It was, it, I mean, it was mostly Tannehill, Fitzpatrick. I used Fitzpatrick a bit early on in the season. Um, but, you know, Sam Darnold, when he had that good stretch of games, you know, we're not talking elite quarterbacks here, which is the whole point of the exercise was to work out opportunity cost per position. And it just proved to me all along that there's no point drafting quarterbacks because if I can outstream every quarterback but the number one, then why would you? It's got to the point where I don't even think I need to draft one unless I fall in love with a guy like Jameis or Lamar, for example. Um, but yeah, it's, it's interesting. And I totally agree with that. I, I think that a lot of people don't necessarily think about the, yeah, what's the net difference uh, it's kind of like VVD kind of thing, value-based drafting, but like QB1 to QB10, QB10 then to QB20, or maybe in smaller increments of QB10 to QB15, QB15 to QB20, that the net difference on a points-per-game basis really ends up almost from QB10 to 20 is maybe like three or four points a game maximum. Mm. And if you can just figure out the right matchups, I believe this even stronger for tight end. And I know I don't actually think that the numbers back me up, but for me, it's after you get past the first one or two tiers, almost everybody is, you're just hoping for either a touchdown and maybe, you know, 60 yards maximum. Once you find a guy, you just latch onto him. But ultimately we just, we don't really know. And so my biggest thing, you know, everybody talks about there's three phases of fantasy. Well, I guess four there's drafting, there's waivers, there's trades, and then there's roster management. So who are you actually starting and that type of stuff? Assume that who you're starting is pretty difficult to get right or wrong, and you just got to be good at that. Trades, I'm actually not very good at trading. Um, I kind of tried to find ways to package guys to get one big fish and either hurt my bench, but that's because I believe so strongly in my ability to work the waiver wire. Unfortunately, not everybody has the same amount of time to sit and obsess over this stuff. And as soon as a sleeper alert comes through, they're popping open every one of their leagues to see if that guy's available to pick up. And if they are, they're just like, I, I turn my roster, I like to call it, I turn it like butter. It's just the bottom of my roster. So the moment I draft, even before the season starts, I'll potentially have done 10 or 15 ads and drops just trying to find the right combination of what I think makes sense. And then obviously season one or week one hits and then it's all gone to shit and we're just still trying to figure out back to square one. But for me, waivers is really where I build up a lot of stuff. You think about the Ryan Fitzpatrick's Devonta, uh, Devonta Parker, like if you manage to get him, like in all the leagues that I got him, I won, which is pretty straightforward. Right. Um, if you think AJ Brown in a lot of leagues was on waivers Darius Slayton had some really good games. Terry McLaurin, you know, I mean, those guys are rookies, but they there were people that were on the waivers that just ended up being huge. Devin Singletary could have been dropped in a bunch of leagues after he hit his injury bug in the first half of the season. Um, I remember my main league, Carlos Hyde, it was like a race to who could get to Carlos Hyde first to pick him up. And there was like that 15 seconds, if not 15 minutes of the news breaking that he was going to the Texans of everybody rushing to get him. I picked him up and I dropped Darren Waller. I automatically regretted it. And I was trying to figure out how to get Darren Waller. Luckily I was able to get both, but that's the type of thing where it's just like a random guy that you don't think is going to do much. And then all of a sudden he has his first thousand yard season. Absolutely. And especially a tight end every season, it seems to be that you get these guys at tight ends that, it just you can pick these guys up halfway through the season. Jared Cook was on waiver wise in a lot of leagues. I picked him up everywhere. Turned out to be almost a, a league winner for me down the stretch. Tyler Higby the same. These guys were 
easily readily available that you could just pick up for, for next to nothing. Anthony Miller, who had a couple of good weeks there, very, very similar. You know, there are guys that are always on the way for wire that you can pick up that will just do a job for a few weeks. And I think too many people get baked into the building for the long term when actually it's you just got to win week to week. And you just got to think about your, your week to week construction. Obviously, you need to have a main core of guys to get you through the weeks. But, you know, your plan B doesn't have to be sitting on your bench already. You can pick one up. It's, it's absolutely fine. Um, and the key is just not to panic. And if you can not panic and just get through, you'll be fine. Um, it sounds like you and me are very similar in our schools of thought, which I love. And I love the, the running back first approach because I keep banging the drum that it's the most volatile position. It's the one that goes down. You need to have more depth there because that depth doesn't exist on, on, on waiver wise. You know, I, I mentioned the streaming exercise I did. I only streamed the running back 31 in PPR. Wow. Because the, the, vol- the, the availability of choices there, and don't get me wrong, in a couple of situations, I made the wrong move and, and here and there, and I could have probably boosted that optimally to like maybe the RB26, but not a huge mm-hmm. jump. Um, you know, the only guys that really came out late on that would have been helpful were people like Raheem Mostert. Um, yeah. You know, there was a couple of guys down the stretch, but it wasn't, it wasn't a ton of players that you could get. So... Um, we had a pretty healthy season for running backs uh, compared to you know last year and stuff. So I I, I totally agree. Um, I, I'm really curious. Do you know what your wide receiver stream yeah. number would be? My wide receiver stream number wasn't too far from my wide from my running back number. It was it was thirty. Um, it was good until the last few weeks of the season. So I was actually trending up quite nicely. But then I the last week killed me. So week sixteen, I had Anthony Miller, and he got injured in the first quarter. So that one point two that he got absolutely bombed me from twenty four to thirty in that final week. Um, but I, second half of the season it was trending quite well. So I went with, for example, James Washington, Darius Slayton, as you mentioned, Zach Pascal when he was the only player there. I Kenny Stills and Cole Bleasley for a bit. But at the start of the season, you know, I had sort of week four, I had like, I still, DJ Chark was under 30% owned. So I picked him up and he had a couple of nice weeks for me there before he dipped off. Um, yeah. But I picked up well towards the end of the season when guys were getting injured and it was just left with James Washington and was on him for one of his big weeks. And then Miller week 16 bombed me um, from 24 to 30. But it's still, even then, if it had been optimal, I would have finished the wide receiver 24, which is, okay, fine. You've got a low-end wide receiver 2, which you've streamed, but there's still 23 other guys you've, you've kind of lost to there. So whether you've got tight ends, I finished at the, the tight end 7. I was higher than that, but I just it was just towards the end that everybody got injured, that the availability of everyone went up. So I had to start like RSJ and Ryan Griffin towards the end because there was just no one else to, to kind of start down the stretch. But... Um, no, it's, it's, it's fascinating. So your approach is very similar to mine. You, you build with running backs because the scarcity is there. You pick up wide receivers in next tier and then you hold to tight end because there's always a guy. There's always a Darren Waller every year, um, someone who jumps up and, and makes that near enough top tier to where you're not going to miss him. As long as you can identify who that person is early and can jump on them early, you'll always survive. Yeah, totally. So let's talk about the, the Scott Fish Bowl then. So... Um, as you mentioned, it was your first year and you won it. It was our first year. What was, you know, what was your draft strategy coming into it? Because it is very unique. It's uh, tight end premium. It's uh, super flex. 
it's very deep, 22 rounds, big rosters. What was your draft strategy uh, coming in? How, how were you going to construct this roster and, and think about what you were going to get? So I picked third overall. And um, for anyone that, that's not in it, or if you are and this didn't happen to you, change what you're doing. It's the group giant, like twi- Twitter, uh, Twitter, like private group of all the people picking third (laughs) and we would all just be doing our own mocks and stuff and talking about the different strategies. And I thought that was really helpful. Consensus was hopefully McCaffrey would fall to us after, you know, some combination of Zeke or or, uh, Barkley went first and second, or maybe Kamara or even Kelsey or something. So I got Christian McCaffrey and once that happened, it kind of, that's when everything else unfolded and I'll, I'll come circle back to that. But for me, it was tight end premium to me didn't actually boost that many people. It really only boosted the top guys and, you know, probably the Kelsey, the Kittle, the Earth. Beyond that, it was maybe Henry, maybe Ingram. Um, And so for me, I honestly thought, well, those guys set records last year. They're probably not going to repeat, which they didn't. I'm going to punt on tight end. I didn't take my first tight end until round 13. And I took 13, 14, 15, 16. I took four tight ends back to back to back to back. Only one of them. So I took Graham, Ian Thomas, uh, Darren Waller, and Cameron Brait. I started uh, Graham like once or twice. And then Darren Waller obviously was just my go-to. I was able to pick up a couple tight ends later. So that was fantastic. And I got them actually free. I didn't even have to spend on them. So that was one of my big things. And because I knew tight ends were just going to go fast and furious. I also wanted to wait on quarterback until uh, a certain tier. And so with Scott Fish having negative four for interceptions and negative six for pick sixes, I really thought either Allen or Winston were going to fall pretty far. But they seem to have pretty high upside in terms of rushing and um and total touchdowns, which obviously worked out pretty well. So I did five skill players, and then I got Allen and then Winston um, in the sixth and seventh. And then I luckily got Tannehill in the 19th. Um, he was someone – oh, I also got – I think it's in this league. Yeah, I, got, I also got Case Keenum. I think I took Keenum um, with a late-round pick, and then I also got Tannehill because I thought Keenum was on a roster with a rookie – quarterback like we don't know if he's going to be good and Keenum had been serviceable before you know it's not as if he had been always bad and really you're just looking at someone to fill in in case Jameis you know shits the bed and starts just playing terrible or he gets benched like we saw what happened last year and so those worked out I I will say that because I had Allen Winston Keenum and Tannehill Tannehill wasn't anything until halfway through the season so I was flip-flopping between Keenum and Winston, and I literally got them wrong almost every week until finally I stuck with Winston and he really started to take off. And so because of that, I started the season actually pretty poorly, and that's why my record ended up being much worse despite my team being pretty stacked by the end of it. Um, so the, the third part was how to start my draft. I wanted five players in the first three picks. I couldn't figure out who I wanted, so I was just going to let the draft fall to me and I wanted McCaffrey at three. I wanted Michael Thomas or Mike Evans. And I wanted Devonta Freeman or Aaron Jones. So any of those five guys in some way, you know, it ended up being my first pick was McCaffrey. My second pick was Michael Thomas. My third pick was Mike Evans. My fourth pick was Devonta Freeman. My fifth pick was Aaron Jones. Oh. 
what a dream. And then, and then I got Allen, and then I got Winston, and then from there, I don't. I, I just had a bunch of guys that were kind of hit or miss. I got Tevin Coleman, Alshon Jeffrey, Deshaun Jackson. I, I played what Alshon maybe a few weeks. I played. I didn't even play Deshaun the first week. I don't think. And Kevin Coleman, I kind of played, and he did okay with the exception of a couple blow-up games. He was never terrible, but never that fantastic. And the rest of my roster was just kind of, you know, whatever it was. But because I had this nucleus of two record setters <laughs> of McCaffrey and Michael Thomas, that definitely helped. Those guys got 40 to 50 points more often than not. And then I had Aaron Jones. And the value on Aaron Jones was just fantastic. Um, but that was at least my draft was kind of the three things. So wait, late on tight end, wait on QB and, um, you know, go specifically for those guys who I just lucked out being able to get. I don't think I could really repeat that per se. I could just kind of hope that things worked out in my favor. No, absolutely. I think our approaches were somewhat similar. Uh, we changed slightly on quarterback given the fact it was super flex, we held slightly more value. So we drafted at the 104 spot and McCaffrey fell to us at the 104. So we obviously snapped him. And then we took Gurley at the 209 because mm -hmm. I just didn't believe. I When the arthritis reports came out, I was like, if he's hurt, he's hurt, but he's playing. Played preseason. Like he's not hurt. It just turned out that the Rams used him wrong. And, uh, you know, they've even come out and admitted that. Um, yeah. I wasn't as put off with the injury report, especially at the 209. But then I I was really high on Rodgers coming in. I believed he could be the QB1 with that new offense. He'd be mm -hmm. unleashed. Um, so we took him at the 304, which turned out to be a disaster pick. And then we went running back again. So we took four running backs in the first six rounds. Um, we took McCaffrey, Gurley, Johnson, and Philip Lindsay in the sixth round. And then our fifth round pick was Lamar Jackson. We wanted to balance oh, between wow. pocket passer and uh, a running quarterback. So we mm -hmm. wanted, because then that way you've got a guy with a pretty safe floor because he rushes versus what could be an elite player at, at, at sort of a traditional quarterback. And that, that was our strategy going in, which if yeah. Aaron Rodgers had been anywhere near where we projected him to be, would have been brilliant. But Lamar kind of got us through. So we didn't take our first wide receiver till round seven and we got Cooper Cup which worked out well. And then we took Nick Foles, which didn't work out as our third QB. We didn't take any other QBs. So it meant we had to spend all our fab on Matt Barkley when he came in for Patrick Mahomes to cover the bye weeks. Oh. It worked out. I mean, it, it did what it needed to do. Um, and then we had a run of uh, wide receivers and then we didn't go tight end until 12th round. And we took Jack Doyle. But the real steal was we took Will Disley with a 19th round pick which until he got oh, injured, yes. he was a tight end two, tight end three overall until he got yeah. injured. So it was working out really nicely. And then when he went injured, we started to really hit the, hit the fan. And then unfortunately for us, if we had made it through the first round of the playoffs, we had that sort of nucleus of team that could have been devastating because we also drafted in the 16th round. We had Debo Samuel, who didn't start well, but he kicked on. Uh, championship week, we had Dion Lewis on our bench. So he was someone that we could have brought in when Henry went down and he wouldn't have had a bad week. Mm -hmm. We drafted Demarcus Robinson with the 21st pick, um, 21st round. So, you know, we, we hit some guys late on in that draft that worked out, but unfortunately we just had two really bad weeks. Um, and unfortunately one of them was in the, the playoffs 
and we missed because um, we actually picked up Moster as well. So we picked him up and unfortunately didn't start him. And had we started him over, uh, I can't remember who we didn't start over him. It was kind of a game time decision and decided to bench Moster and we got knocked out by Darius Slayton's monster game on Monday Night Football. Um, so the guy who was like 17th in that playoff week ended up jumping and booting us out of the bubble spot at 10. So we got oh, eliminated in 11th on the bubble because Darius Slayton had like 50 points or something like that. And had he gone for a few less yards, then we would have made it. And I mean, I don't think we would have won, but I think we, we would have got close. But these things happen. That's why we love the, the Scott Fishbowl. The great thing about the Scott Fishbowl is, is, the, is the heavy hitters. So in terms of uh, the guys who've been doing this for a long time did you have any sort of big uh superstars or uh somewhat famous fantasy names uh in your division that you knocked out as a result yeah the the biggest and he and i were just battling non-stop probably was justin boone um oh my gosh i am totally blanking i'm trying to get into it right now uh, there we go so justin boone's with the score um who won the fantasy and, the fantasy pros uh, analyst top ranker award this year? Yeah, and so he and I were like battling. There was even a point where uh, when Freeman went down, uh, Javante Freeman went down. I had thirty nine dollars left in Fab. I put it all on Brian Hill. Justin Boone put down forty, and I messaged him being like, "Did you do this just because of mine?" And he was like, "Yes, that's exactly why I put down 40. And I was like, "This is Scott Fishbowl. Justin Boone just had to outbid me. <laughs> like, this is awesome." Um, and yeah, so he took first overall in the division and it was literally like, even after the bye, uh, both, I guess both weeks, then he and I were just battling the entire time until I ultimately, you know, I advanced to the final, but it was, he was the person even in the semis that I was going against making sure that I like, you know, outpaced him. So then Mark Schofield, he's with Inside the Pylon. Um, if you haven't read his stuff, his QB stuff is so awesome. He's really, really talented at his QB analysis. Um, who else? Uh, we got someone from Rotoviz, uh, a few fans, Dynasty Trade Calculator, Fake Pigskin. Uh, he's from Ireland, so another one across the pond. Dynasty Fantasy Football Factory, and then Athlon Sports. Uh, but the two biggest guys are, are Justin Boone and, and Mark Schofield. But it, it was um, – I didn't have any of the names that I know some of the other people had that are list more established fantasy football names. Obviously, Justin had an amazing season, but uh, I don't think he's as much of a household name as, say, like a Mike Wright or like Matthew Barry or something like that. So Yeah, no, I, I get that. But the great thing is uh, Scott does a, a leaderboard, so you must have been ahead of – the Matthew Berries and the Mike Wrights and, and this lot for pretty much most of the season based on how your points uh, were going. Yeah, so I, I had a 398-point week. That definitely helped. I think it might have been the highest of the season um, or pretty close to it. So we were, I was talking to Scott about it, but I weren't sure. So that was pretty cool. Um, <laughs> definitely makes a big boost when you're looking at that leaderboard. Um, and honestly, I mean, the – Best thing to me is like, I still talk to a bunch of these people. Obviously I talk to them, you know, on Twitter threads and whatnot, but also just like in DMs and whatnot. Um, I'm not, it's not as if I'm like best friends with them. I know uh, some of the divisions maybe have gotten a little bit closer and stuff, but just the availability to have these people to bounce off ideas. 
uh, Dan Cook, who's with um, Dynasty Trade, uh, or Dynasty Fantasy Factory. He does really big IDP work. And so I have a couple of leagues that have IDP heavy stuff. So I reach out to him regularly um, anytime that I have IDP questions. And it's just like, those are the type of nuances that prior to that, you know, I didn't really have go-to people that I could ask questions for and kind of, you know, become friends with. So it's definitely a great thing that Scott does uh, in organizing this and really bringing the giant FF community together in uh, various ways. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, we've met some great people in it. Dwayne being the, probably the closest we grew to anybody in Artificial. And he's someone I message quite a lot on Twitter. He's been on the show a couple of times, but he just, uh, he's a couple of times, uh, I love his utilization report. And there's a couple of times of like flip-flopping a decision. I'm like, can you share this bit of your utilization report with me? He's like, yeah, of course. And he'll answer some questions. He's, he's great like that. And uh, yeah, through him and then other people and, uh, it's just such a great tournament. We've, we've wanted to be in it the last couple of years. Uh, this year we finally got there and it's just amazing to be, to be part of. So, uh, amazing he does. I'm glad Scott's recently been, um, rewarded by the FSGA for humanitarian of the year, or, uh, I don't know what the official award is, but due to how much money the Scott Fish Bowl raises, which we've had about $40,000 a year or something like that. It's, it's amazing what he does. And the pictures of him shopping uh, for Toys for Tots, etc. So uh, it's just incredible. So let's talk about the playoffs. You get through, I assume you got the buy through points, or did you have to play week 13? No, no, I got buy through points, um, so luckily. Got, yeah. So you get to week 14, so you're down to the last 400... I think at this stage, um, or is it 200? Last 200, I think it is. I always get thrown off by it. I think it's the last 240. That's it's the it. top. It's the top. The top two, two advance. Yeah. Yeah. So the last uh, 20%, not 2%, uh, last 20%. So, yeah. so 240 remaining. At that point, did you feel confident that you were going to win? Did you think like, I've got a chance here? What, what were you sort of thinking when you when you're entering the, the playoffs of week 14? Oh, uh, man. Honestly, I don't know if anybody can be confident going into this stuff. It's so difficult just because you know how many people you're playing against. And it just seems kind of crazy that you're even there. And so, I don't know. I, at week 14, I was like, I think you have to finish top two out of 20 and I was like, I mean, I, I guess there's a chance. And then I just had a couple guys that kind of put up big numbers. Um, I know that I ended up outscoring. I think Justin Boone was the next closest, and I outscored him by about 40 points. I had really good weeks from Tannehill and Winston, so that made a big difference. Uh, I think Aaron Jones had a huge week. Um, it's tough, though. I mean, like, uh, I had Alshon go down and get zero in that week. Uh, and that definitely, like, anytime that happens, you're like, well, what the heck was I thinking? Like, you know, you're always second-guessing everything. Uh, I had Darius Slayton. That's his Monday night football game. I had him on my bench and was like, this is nuts. I'm going to lose. This is terrible. When actually, you know, I ended up winning by 40 points. Um, and so at least that that worked out. Um, I will say week 15 was way more intense because week 15 – uh, so you have to be top two in week 14, but in week 15, you're, you're playing a championship, you know, it's you versus 12 people. And so it's like, Oh my gosh, to even get to the finals, I have to win a championship and then win a championship. Right. And I was like, I don't know if this is going to happen. This just doesn't seem like it's possible. And, you know, tracking the scoring is a little bit difficult. Um, mostly because 
you know, it has to get updated on the site. There's not an easy way to kind of be tracking everybody. But luckily, I had Jameis Winston go off. Luckily, because, you know, the way that it works is that you're really the top person from most divisions. And so if for fab purposes and picking up players, there's not a lot of people also picking up players. So I picked up Brashad Perryman and started Brashad Perryman. So between Brashad and Jameis, they both got 44 points. That helped a good amount, you know. I, so that I had, I ended up with 294 points. That felt pretty good. It was really good. Michael Thomas week and also Darren Waller, um, plus Ryan Tannehill at this point was just playing pretty well. So luckily, that all worked out. Um, and you know, if you look at the live scoring on the MFL site for Scott Fish, you can actually see your potential points. And I optimized my lineup. I think I missed three points. So definitely worked out that, um, you know, played the right guys and everything. And if I may continue on, you know, we were finally get to the final week and going into all this, my wife is really big on like um, abundance mindset as she calls it and being like, when I win, because I will win type stuff. And I just kept being like, you don't understand like how difficult this would be to win. The final is the top 20 teams. Not only did I just beat, 11 other teams now I have to beat 19 like I have a 5% chance of this actually happening it's not going to happen and so as the week is going Jameis puts up what four interceptions a pick six he gets eight points Darius Slayton got me zero points and I was like there's no chance like this isn't going to happen and I'm talking to Tommy Garrett a guy who you know we've become good friends kind of prior to Scott Fish, we became friends on Twitter just doing mocks in the offseason. And he and I are DMing, and he actually put together a spreadsheet of all the different players, uh, all the different teams, so that we could track points. And he's like, you know, everybody has had someone that's completely busted. Almost everybody has had a quarterback that's busted. So I was like, ah, there's still not a chance. I'm probably not going to win. Well, I had Ryan Tannehill put up 30, so that was okay, but he definitely missed out on like an extra touchdown. And so I was like, that's probably not going to happen. Luckily, I had Devonta Freeman put up 42 points. I had McCaffrey put up 45 points. Perriman put up 25 and Michael Thomas put up 40. But I still have this zero and this eight. And so going into Monday Night Football, Packers versus Vikings, I know I have Aaron Jones. And I was very defeated. I was like, I'm down 40 points from just like, I have to make up uh, 40 points, then I'll be close enough and we'll see what happens. Everybody had maybe one or two players. They pretty much either had Mike Boone or Devonta Adams. Uh, one guy had um, Amir Abdullah or combinations of that. But ultimately, I needed at least 40 points from Aaron Jones to even be competitive. So I don't know if you remember that game, but in the first quarter, Aaron Jones, I think, had like 20 yards. And then in the second quarter, he had, I don't know, like 40 yards. So I had actually turned the game off halfway through uh, the second quarter. It was just like, there's no chance this is going to happen. So I'm just going to see what I can do and we'll go from there. And I just turned it off. It's not going to happen. I'm talking to my buddy and it's the second half of the game. And he's like, how are you doing? I was like, yeah, it's not a big deal. Aaron Jones isn't doing much. And I like pull up the score and I was like, huh. Aaron Jones has 24 points. How does he have 24 points? That's crazy. Like forgot about the 50 yardage, 50 plus yardage bonus. And then he has some catches and just here and there. And I was like, I'm only back 16 points. And there's like a quarter and a half. This is nuts. Like this, this could happen. We'll see. Sure enough. Like my, 
So the story is that my buddy yells for his wife and his wife comes in and his wife is like this crazy good luck charm at fantasy. And he just goes, Natasha, Aaron Jones, touchdown, Aaron Jones, touchdown, Aaron Jones, touchdown. She's like, I don't know who that is, but okay. The next play, Aaron Jones breaks a 56 yard touchdown. And I'm like losing my mind because at this point I'm back like 0.8 points. There's still, I don't know, 10 minutes left in the game. And Aaron Jones now has 146 yards. And so if he gets four more yards, I get an additional five points. The Vikings go like three and out because they were terrible that game. And sure enough, the next play, Aaron Jones gets six yards. And then it's like, oh, my gosh, I need Devonta Adams to do nothing. I need Mike Boone to do nothing. I need Amir Abdullah to do nothing. And it just like they pretty much I think they go five plays or six plays and then they punt. And the Vikings do, and then the Packers get the ball, and they kneel. <laughs> and I was like, oh, my God, I just want Scott Fish. This is the craziest thing. Totally thought I was down and out, and here I am with Aaron Jones getting exactly 47 points. That's incredible. I saw the video that your wife posted um, of you, like, I think it must have been, what, like a couple of minutes after you'd won it, or it was, like, in the moment? I mean, talk us through that. Oh, yeah, dude. I'm just, like, losing my mind, um, especially the, I don't know, just everything that I had said, just a series of events that had led up to all of a sudden this happening, and the genuine disbelief that this had actually occurred. And my wife started recording. Um, the funny thing is, though, I, even you saying <laughs> that you saw my wife's video, so I also posted the video after the fact, and my wife's video somehow got more views than mine did, which I just thought was like hilarious because my wife's barely on Twitter, but it was just the first video that got up there. I, honestly, dude, I mean, it's, it's, I want to say it's like the coolest thing that's ever happened in my life. I'm obligated to say getting married and having my son is beats it. But like in terms of like personal things that have occurred to me, it's, it's probably the coolest thing that's ever happened. Um, I, I don't expect my life to drastically be changing or anything, but I've always phrased it as this. We talked about what if people wanted to get into the industry. I have always assumed there is 0% chance I will ever become a family analyst by trade, right? Until I won Scott Fish, I still believe it's a 0% chance, but it's the first time I was like, it could happen. It won't, but it could. Prior to this, there was no chance of it happening. You just Too many lucky breaks have to occur. But ultimately, like this is, this is a lucky break. This is the one thing that could make someone be like, oh, what about this guy? This guy did this. And now kind of you get to, for lack of a better term, live in infamy as one of the 10 winners of this giant tournament. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, you're now on a podcast in, in the UK, which, okay, we're not, we're not gangbusters, <laughs> but still, you know, you, you're now international. We're going to make you, you global. <laughs> but yeah. um, I, I had to take a moment one of the one of the, the sad aspects of this was you mentioned Tommy Garrett and he posted a pretty innocuous post and it was almost I think it was like a shock face or something like that. I can't quite remember what the tweet was. And everyone thought that he'd won the Scott Fishbowl. So everybody started tweeting Tommy, like, congratulations on winning the Scott Fishbowl. Everyone thought that he'd won and he had to repeat about twenty or thirty times. Uh, I didn't win. Gary won. Uh, and to be fair to him, he was fantastic. I dropped him a DM afterwards because uh, I follow him on, on Twitter. He follows us. And we've had a couple of chats. And I sent him a message like, what a gracious loser, like bad luck. But you've, you've handled this like a champ. Because I don't know if 
I, for example, could deal with it that way, knowing that you were basically three or four yards away from winning the Scott Fish Bowl. And then to have everyone congratulating you like you'd won it, only to then have to tell everyone that you didn't. Yeah, it was, it was two of his buddies went on and posted the congratulations. It wasn't even Tommy. And it definitely, Tommy felt like it was that case. But yeah, I felt really bad. That the crazy thing is, uh, as you said, uh, or as I said earlier, we, so we don't necessarily know each other. But there was this weird thing in the offseason. Tommy's like me, like kind of addicted to mock drafting. And we were, I started doing a lot of mocks and you kind of just start mocking with a lot of the same people. And Tommy was one of them. To the point that at some point, the fantasy in session guys started a random just kind of Twitter league for bragging rights. And Tommy and I are both in it. And so this guy that like, we don't know who each other are at all, all of a sudden, we've spent the season kind of talking shop and talking about football. And here we are in the final seconds, final minutes of the regular season playing for what for both of us is pretty much the largest tournament we've ever been in and playing against each other for what ended up being, I think like a four point difference. You know, it's just, as you said, it's four yards that split two guys that didn't know each other from Adam or Eve. And, and here we are. So it, it's awesome, and he, he's been awesome about it. Um, it'll definitely be fun once the season starts back up, kind of, you know, I'm sure jawing at each other and everything. Uh, but he, he's been great about it. He really has, like, hats off to him because he, he not once mm-hmm. was bitter about it, or at least publicly. Um, and to get all those messages and then to have to tell people it, it's not what happened and, uh, he hadn't won. I mean, it, it, it was a lot, but he, he handled it like a true champ. And, you know, he's, he's a real, I, I don't know, I'm similar to you, sort of connected and chatted a little bit, but not loads. I haven't done a mock draft with him. So something I look forward to doing in the, in the off season. But I, from what I do know is he's a, he's a really, really good guy. And, and it comes across not just on his Twitter, but just the, the way he handled that situation. So uh, it was unfortunate, but, someone has to win and uh, uh and that's yeah. you so I, I guess you know we're only a few weeks removed and you say it, it it's not going to change your life but what has changed since you won uh the scottfish bowl nine um definitely gained you know five six hundred followers on twitter which has been cool um i will say one of the craziest things uh andy holloway who's fantasy footballers um, I DM'd them just kind of saying thanks because they're really my go-to guys. I listen to them daily as most of us do, but I actually, their rankings are kind of my, not my, my default rankings, but they're when I'm looking for, um, you know, oh God, what's the word? Confirmation bias. <laughs> I go to theirs. They're the rankings for my, my own confirmation bias. And he ended up following me and it was like, this dude follows, 322 people and now he follows me i'm one of 323 and he has 115,000 followers like that was one of the coolest things just someone i've looked up to for so many years um also i mean really the biggest thing is the amount of podcasts and exposure that's the coolest thing i mean i tend to do one to two podcasts it feels like a week and this is the off season when people are doing them slow i remember last year just the amount of pods that we saw ff stompy doing um, towards the beginning of the season. So I really do look forward to that. And I don't know if it's the right way to say it, but ultimately, like, this is something that we take to be such pride. Like, really, it's my main hobby. 
you know, I have my family, I have work, and then I have fantasy football. I just love it. And to kind of have the validation that, like, in some respect, yeah, I totally got lucky, and I am very aware of that. But also, like, I got lucky, but it's also validation that I do know what I'm doing. It, it's it's cool. The, the weirdest thing is that my friends in real life, uh, only, like, one or two of them even know what it is. Even the guys in my main fantasy leagues, they don't really listen to the same pods or they're not on the Twitter sphere um, for fantasy. And so a lot of them, I'm like, do you know what this is? And they're like, I don't know what you're talking about. And I'm like, well, I want it. <laughs> <laughs> Even though you have no idea what it is. Yeah, it's it's cool. I, one of the other funny things is texting my family and being like, I kind of told them that I was in this tournament and that there was a chance, this tiny slim chance that I could win it. And they were like, oh, so you win lots of money? No, I kind of just win infamy and recognition. And they were like, uh, okay. And then when I finally won it, they're just like, way to go, Gary. Like, that's cool. <laughs> but in the same way, it's kind of that validation that, like, if something ever happens with this and you guys are ever like, really, that's what you want to try and do with your, your career? It's like, no, like, this is something that's happened and that I have shown I might be able to do, whether or not I can or can't. I will say it's very strange. I'm not really one to publicly exclaim about my wins, about in anything in life. Like I'm a little bit more reserved than that, I think. And it is strange talking about even stuff like this, kind of the toot your own horn type thing. Feels a little, a little awkward. But I realize you kind of just have to seize the moment and kind of just jump feet first in and try and go after it and see what happens from it. Yeah, I, I think that's the best part of it. You've you got to celebrate it. It's an, it, it's an incredible thing. As you said, you're the ninth person ever to win this. Um, it, it's, there's not a big list of people that have, have won this tournament. Yeah. Considering how many people enter it every year. and Every year it gets bigger. It's, the way I, I try to explain this to, um, I explained this to my wife, and she didn't really get it. And I used an analogy that she didn't get either. I compare this tournament to the World Series of Poker in the sense of it's a big tournament that everybody enters in the hopes of winning it, only with the exception of winning all the money at the end. But it's because you've got these big celebrity people in the industry, like everybody knows who Matthew Berry is, everyone knows who Adam Rank is, everybody knows who the fantasy footballers are if they've ever played the fantasy football league. And, you know, they might not know, you know, the Justin Boons or or etc. But you've got these guys who are seasoned professionals and then you've got people like us who we write and we have a passion and we're involved and we get entries through <clears throat> what we do. But then you also have just regular fans who just uh, win entries who aren't affiliated with any kind of fantasy football. They just play and they get an entry through some medium or, or however. And then you've got a few celebrities in there like James Roday from... Uh, psych was in there so that's how i likened it to when i explained to people and Mm -hmm. that analogy kind of tends to work with people but even so yeah you're right you don't get the money or you do get a few prizes what did you actually get for winning so um i so far i have received um oh my gosh i'm gonna butcher people's names uh let me just pull them up so that i don't mess with it um i received 250 dollars in donation to the MVP of my team, which has been pretty crazy about uh, Michael Gelkin. He's actually a beat writer for the Cowboys. Uh, so he set that up with Scott. And so they donated to the Boys and Girls Club of Green Bay for Aaron Jones, being that he he won me it, 
so we, we I went with him as the MVP. Obviously, there was McCaffrey or Thomas, but um, given the actual winning circumstances. And then I will get a trophy, which looks super awesome, um, coming from trophysmack.com. And that will actually have a fishbowl on it that we will be putting a fish in. My son, I'm sure, will be very excited, and so will my cats. And then um, I get a trophy belt. Uh, I will, at some point, also be getting $250. That's just all this stuff's donated, right? Um, and so, and I'm, you know, I'm sure that there will be some other prizes. It's interesting. Some of the other like runner-up prizes are like a lifetime subscription to Football Guys and stuff like that, which I would obviously love to have. I don't actually pay for any subscription sites just because I think there's so much information out there. But as you meet and talk to these bigger fish, you definitely realize like some of them are de- probably worthwhile paying for their stuff. I you know, JJ or um, Joe Dolan, I think he writes with football guys, right? Or he used to. Uh, No, he was with, I knew this. He was with fantasy free agents right now. He's fantasy free agents and then he's got a new venture he's going to be launching, which he hasn't told anybody about yet. Um, Well, we won't ruin that then. I mean, mean, he mentioned on his podcast, he he hasn't announced what it is, but he's got a new venture that's that's coming out. Uh, He was telling us, well, he was, telling us that he's got a new venture coming out. They're just getting ready to sign the legals. Uh, that actually fantasy free agents was a stopgap. It wasn't something they were planning to do. Um, they had this new mm-hmm. venture, but not all the legals got done in time for the season. So fantasy free agents came about as just a, well, we've got to do something for the year. Um, yeah. and, and then they ended up getting uh, massive amount of downloads. And, you know, he was saying how much it's really validated his own self-worth because he always felt that he wasn't someone who perhaps deserved the kind of recognition that he's had because he always feels like he's uh, not as good as he is as people think he is and he's still got an element of that but I think it helped his he he said it helped his mental health and his ability to to really focus and uh, self-worth etc so but yeah there's, there's quite a few guys who um, have some great content out there you've got Establish the Run you've got as you mentioned, football, football yeah. ice is a subscription that we were luckily gifted uh, this year, and uh, it's fantastic. It's a great resource. So hopefully, um, I'm sure someone's got to hook you up with that. Um, if we did the Scott Fishbowl, I think you deserve a, a lifetime subscription to to Football Guys. I there's one that the guy just reached out about the other day, and I, it sounds like such a cool idea. So, CM CPMC Dynasty Forecast Podcast. Um, let me just pull up their actual thing so I don't butcher this. It is these guys created kind of a um, service where you pay and they end up doing a podcast, an hour long podcast about your dynasty league in the off season. And they look at like power rankings for your league. They look at like weak spots for each team. They look at what maybe do a mock draft for the teams or they review like if you've already had your rookie draft and so they do a whole hour for it and so and so yeah it's fantasy football dynasty forecasters and so I told you I joined this like 10-year dynasty league that I happened to kind of get in and actually it's a crazy story because one of the guys got diagnosed with a potentially terminal disease and so he just said he didn't have the time to focus on it even though like it's his favorite league so I got offered to take over for him. He ended up coming back and being like, you know, I think I do have time. And I was like, I'll give up my, my spot. Like it's obviously your team, but I had made a bunch of moves already. And it just happened to be that someone else 
unbeknownst to any of this happening, decided to drop out and just kind of ghosted everybody despite being in this for 10 years. And so this guy who had the terminal disease ended up jumping back on and taking over a different team. And so he's back in the league and now it's the nine of them plus me. And I was like trying to integrate myself into this league and get them, you know, whatever. And this dude reaches out about his, this dynasty fantasy uh, podcast league uh, podcasting. So we haven't done it yet, but I'm so excited specifically for this one gentleman to have this podcast for an hour about what is his favorite fantasy football league. And I just, none of them know about it. And I'm so excited to surprise them. That's wild. That's awesome. Um, I love that. I think that's a great uh, surprise that you will spring on them. And uh, uh, yeah, I think that's a, that's an incredible thing. What a great prize to, to have. And, that's cool. You have to send me over the details of that because uh, I'm quite curious. I'd like to listen to some of those as well because I think that'd be quite a cool thing yeah. to listen to about other people's leagues. I think you can learn a lot. Uh, we've got about a couple of minutes left. So I just wanted to talk to you about and appreciate it's really early, super early 2020 fantasy football strategy. Do you have uh, in your keeper leagues, dynasty leagues, players on your 2019 rosters you're looking to uh, ship out, try and trade away, or do you have any by low candidates that you'd be looking at as well? Oh, man. Um, for the rookies, rookies are so hard for me to place because I really like to evaluate where players are within a specific team. There's just so much. I mean, I feel like the top 15 picks of the rookie draft this year could all be, not you know, top top five, top 10 seem like they're going to be potential studs. It just happens to see where they go. I'm really hoping the Niners take a wide receiver one, depending on, what they do, um, obviously, of Debo and, and Manny Sanders. But, you know, I, I hope that they draft a high-value wide receiver to try and take over that spot. So they would be someone I'm wanting to go after. Um, in terms of non-rookies, players that I'm super high on moving forward for Dynasty, for Keeper, would be like a Devin Singletary. I'm a really big fan of. I just think he has all the tools to really break out in the coming years. Um there's some free agent moves that I'm curious to see what will happen. Someone like a Chase Edmonds. Um, obviously, Raheem Mostert just had his really big game, but I'm really excited that I have him on a couple of rosters where he might be a keeper. Obviously, the San Francisco backfield is kind of crazy um, away from running backs. Someone like a Mike Kosicki. I'm very curious to see if he's able to finally put it together. Tight ends take a little bit of time to blossom, and he seemed to start really putting it together. And as everybody will always say, he's a spark freak and one of the best athletes in the league and all this stuff. So, so that'll be curious. Um, someone that I'm down on would probably be like a James Conner. I'm nervous that James Conner has worked his way out of a starting role, or at least has definitely just placed himself in a full on committee. Cause you can tell that you, you can't really trust him due to injuries. Um, someone similar to that, I've said this on another pod, but I'll default to it, is on Johnson. I'm nervous that on Johnson is never going to get the workload he needs, either under Patricia or if he does get it, he'll just continue to get injured. I don't know if it's necessarily he's injury prone, but it definitely seems that way. Some people would have said that about Dalvin Cook and look what he did. I think that on Johnson is all the talent in the world, but if you can't stay healthy, and you keep getting, you know, especially ankle stuff, lower leg stuff. It kind of just compounds over and over. Yeah, I think off the top of my head right now, those are the players that I'm definitely going for or staying away from. 
moving forward. Yeah, I think that's a that's a pretty wise list. Uh, my co-host stocks is is massively high on Kerry on Johnson, so we had a, quite a lot of teams we co-owned. Um, just mm-hmm. due to the fact, otherwise we'd have even more teams. It's a bit ridiculous because uh, we do a lot of listener leagues, and Kerry on Johnson was someone we took in quite a few leagues. And uh, I'm with you. I the two things that worry me about him is the volume and the health. Um, it's the same reason why I've never drafted Dalvin Cook, but next year I'd consider it because until he plays 14, 15 games, I don't want to know because you can't be taking a running back in the first three rounds and that player going down for you know subsequent time. And I always hate that because I think that's just a, they're the only rounds I tend to go a little bit safe. I don't mind looking for upside, but I need to know they're going to play. And that's my one worry with, well, one or two worries with, with carry on, but um, I'm similar to you in your thinking in the sense of, I think, yeah, I, I think Singletree can, can break out. The one worry with him is touchdowns. If Josh Allen can learn to not hog them all himself, that would be good. And the other one is, um, I really love Miles Sanders. He was someone I targeted in a lot of mm. Ricky drafts last year, um, especially now with Jordan Howard going to free agency and in the hopes that he doesn't sign. I think they should, they shouldn't, they don't need to sign Jordan Howard to another deal. You know, they, they should feel confident that they've got Miles Sanders there. And if, all right, fine, you've got Boston Scott, you might take some of the workload, but the fact he's efficient in the passing game, I really like Miles Sanders. He's someone I'm trying to target in a lot of places. But. I, I really like if they move on from Howard to use Sanders and Boston Scott because they have such potentially overlapping skill sets that you could run, if you, if you ran a two back set, pretty regularly and integrated that you would have no idea what type of play that they're going to be running because you could go through up the middle you could go out to the flats you could send one of them out in motion I mean there are just so many things that you could do and I think Howard is just so much more one-dimensional that when you have a play caller like Doug Peterson that could be so creative and it could potentially keep both of them a little bit healthier I, I really like both of them in that backfield and just with Carson who if we're going to talk quarterbacks, right? Carson always needs to be discussed as a possible top five finisher, given what he's done and just how wrecked they were with injuries all season. Yeah. He's another one for me. It's health with him and appreciate a lot of people jumped on him in the playoffs, which was ridiculous because it was a, it was a hard hit. That's a, a, a game hit that doesn't prescribe to his injury record. You know, if someone hits you helmet to helmet and you get knocked out of the game, that's got nothing to do with what's happened previously. But he's another one. But given the fact I can't see him going before the ninth, tenth round, <clears throat> he's someone that is fairly interesting in drafts, provided that they get some weapons there. Because if it's just going to be Deshaun and uh, uh, Nelson, Alshon. yeah, and Alshon, if Alshon's still going to be there, you know, he, it's, yeah. it's interesting to see. They need to get some weapons there. I, I'm really disappointed they didn't use J.J. Sega whiteside more, given the draft capital they put into him, because um, I like him as a prospect. I think he's someone that could – he gets good separation. He's got good uh, good catch radius. It's just you got to use him and put him out there. But uh, we, we will see coming into the season. But um, this has been a, a, a lot of fun, Gary. And I'd love to have you back before the season starts just to go through a bit more of your thinking and – and process maybe uh, before the, the Scott Fish Bowl starts, Scott Fish Bowl 10, we can have you on and talk about your strategy and process 
for, for what you're thinking, if, if that's all right with you. Yeah, I would absolutely love to. Uh, it's always nice talking to someone from the UK. We didn't actually address it. I kind of forgot at the intro. I'm actually from the UK. I am kind of the bastard Englishman. My entire family is from Scotland, but I was born in Hemel Hempstead oh, and uh, been in the in the US for about 30 years now. But my entire family is pretty much born in either South Glasgow uh, or my family lives in Dundee outside of, you know, they're kind of all coalesced there other than my my parents my brother my sister and i and now we we've been in the states for about 30 years so it's really fun uh definitely talking with you and and this whole going international thing so i'm always always down to chat amazing well that's great and i know how much i said well i grew up in um in just outside potter's bar so uh, i know north london quite well uh, and I know it's more Hertfordshire, but it's a it's a cool place to to grow up. So that's amazing. Why don't you tell everyone where they can find your work, where you are on Twitter, uh, where they can potentially ask you questions and reach out uh, and talk to you? Um, so I'm at FightingChanceFantasy.com. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Gary Haddo One. That's the number one. So it's G A R Y H A D D O W number one. And you know uh, other good follow would be at fighting chance that's ryan hallam he's the gentleman that started fighting chance fantasy um and there's a few of us also that right there in the season i mean in off season i'll probably just be doing some general player stuff i kind of like to do higher level things in the off season and then slowly get into more concrete player stuff as uh the off season progresses and then in the season i do like a weekly waiver column um which i always think are pretty generic things but they're fun to do and then there's a roundtable discussion that we do weekly and a parlay thing that we do just looking at picking against spreads. All pretty, all, all pretty much fun stuff. We're just a bunch of, bunch of people that are just guys and gals that are having a good time just writing about fantasy, doing what we like to do. So come check us out. And to be honest, I'm hoping after the, the Super Bowl to probably start a podcast with one of the guys, Kevin Tompkins, and kind of see where we go from there. So, yeah kind of take this wild ride as we uh move forward well it, when when you do start your podcast make sure you drop me a link i'd love to to listen and, and check it out and uh yeah love to support it as well and send over and you know give it some shares and some follows and get it up and running because uh anyone that wins uh, the scott fish poll has uh, got my attention automatically we will uh definitely be having you on to be honest so uh yeah uh, i should just say my wife is texting me pictures my uh belt arrived my wrestling belt. I don't know if I referenced that as a um, one of the prizes. Yeah, so that just arrived in the mail today. So it'll be interesting. I just uh, I just DM'd you pictures of it so you can see, and I'll post some on Twitter as soon as I get a chance here. But it's quite exciting. What a perfect way to uh, finish off this podcast without arriving. <laughs> oh, that is awesome. That is a, that is a really yeah, cool. That is a really cool belt. Yeah, I'll retweet it when you repost uh, when you post it out. I'll re I'll retweet it, and so our listeners can follow it. But that's that's quite incredible. Well, this has been an, an absolute pleasure. Um, I look forward to talking again. We'll, we'll definitely stay in touch in the off season. Any mocks, um, uh, invite me or I invite you. We'll do quite a lot of stuff, I'm sure. But uh, yeah, it's just been a real pleasure talking to you and hearing your story. It's it's really cool. But until next time and until next week, Rush Nation, where it's Super Bowl week, keep rushing.
HIV is still an issue in Montgomery County. The more open we're able to talk about HIV, we treat it like any other health prevention. PrEP stands for pre-exposure prophylaxis. People who are not HIV positive who may be at high risk for contracting the disease. This is a good choice for you. It's just a way for you to sort of take control and say, I'm going to do this to protect myself. Do it for them. Do it for you, Montgomery County. Learn more about PrEP, the HIV prevention medication. Visit doitforyoumc.org. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program.